You are listening to The Ingle Angle, and I am Fort Worth Star Telegram columnist, Mac Engel. You will notice for this latest episode, my tenor is just a little different than previous installments because the topic calls for it. At the time of this recording, it is right around Holocaust Remembrance Day. And if you might recognize the music behind me, it is the soundtrack from the movie Schindler's List. Now, I'm not Jewish, but you don't need to be Jewish to take a moment or two or ten to remember history's greatest man-made tragedy that somehow we are stupid enough to do again. I don't know why, but the topic of the Holocaust was something that struck a chord in me from the time I was in high school or maybe college. The only reason I can think of is when I was in those formative years, it coincided when the History Channel launched. And early on in the network's history, it showed what felt like was about 24 hours straight of World War II-related programming. World War II was the first time there was extensive footage of combat and its consequences. And as such, it created the first real impression of what wars actually look and sound like. Included in that are images and footage from the Holocaust. Cattle cars crammed with Jewish people from Germany and other parts of Europe, riding to their likely deaths, the concentration camps, the work camps, the horrific images of Jewish people living in squalor and ghettos and other places. It's 2022, and the people who managed to survive these hellish experiences are now leaving this world through natural causes. They are in their late 80s and 90s, and as they leave, it's becoming readily apparent we are forgetting what they endured and what the world did while so many of them were murdered. As much as it saddens me, it is becoming apparent that we are forgetting the Holocaust because we're busy, because we don't want to take time to look back, or because it's unsettling. I fully realize that this topic itself probably detoured listeners because it's just so uncomfortable. My guest today survived that period, and his answers to my questions are disturbing because they are true. He was born in 1929 in Czechoslovakia. He lived because his family had the presence of mind not to board the trains to those work camps. Somebody tipped them off not to board the train. Now, by that point, many of his family members and countless friends had disappeared to these camps. And needless to say, they never returned. In the final seven months of World War II, his family fled to the countryside where they dug out a hut on the side of a hill and covered it with earth to avoid detection. For seven months, he lived in a hole during one of the worst winters of the century. When their country was liberated by the Soviet Union Army, he figured he was nearly illiterate because he had not been allowed to attend school for five years. He stayed in communist Czechoslovakia and became a chemical engineer. He would remain there for more than 20 years until he and his wife were in Canada on a work-related trip, and then they sought political asylum. So, 
He avoided a certain death during World War II because he was Jewish. Then he escaped the draconian policies of the Soviet Union, and he eventually settled in upstate New York, where he currently lives. After he retired, he pursued his passion of painting, where his subject is often the Holocaust. His story, along with other Holocaust survivors, are featured in a new PBS documentary titled We Remember Songs of Survivors. You can find that one-hour documentary on pbs.org. It is my honor to introduce Mr. Tibor Spitz. At the time of this interview, Russia was still in the process of trying to claim Ukraine, and the invasion is still ongoing, which does bring to mind the images of Germany invading so many countries, uh, including yours, uh, Czechoslovakia, uh, and the rest of Europe in the 30s. You're in your 90s. Did you ever think we would see anything like this again in your lifetime? Uh, You know, I'm very realistic. I was not a poet or a writer or an artist. I was an engineer. I was thinking rationally. And I have seen genocides going on in the world, you know, Cambodia, Rwanda, and so on, which means that I had no illusions, but I have never expected as a straightforward copy of requiring, you know, Germans, you try to unite the German-speaking people, Putin tries to unite Russian-speaking people. It was almost a Xerox copy of the same scenario, like like somebody's making a movie, write down the stories, and they, they looked too identical. No, I have not expected this kind of, uh, I would say, arrogant, open uh, way of handling uh, international relationships. The fact that foreign countries uh, outside of that region have been slow to act or had their, their actions haven't included uh, military responses, uh, do you think that's something that should be done, that the United States and other countries in, in Europe, Germany specifically, should act on the behalf of, uh, of Ukraine beyond just economic sanctions? Uh, you know, Chinese want to have Taiwan. They are open about it. And Putin expressed himself very clearly that he wants to restore the Soviet Union. He even said that losing the Second World War would not be as tragic as had been decomposing or the dismantling of the Soviet Union. Which means that in case he had his way, it would be all the countries which were under Soviet Union, including part of Germany, would be under Russian Putin's command or control, which means that finally Putin uh, succeeded in United in unite NATO and increased its influence and increased its membership. Uh, it is the only way, if Hitler had been stopped, in 1938, instead of Chamberlain letting him have Sudetenland in Czechoslovakia, uh, they would have beat Hitler and 70 million people would have been 
you know, alive instead of being pile of dead bodies. Uh, I believe that if you don't fight for freedom, you lose freedom. And if you need to use violence against violence, uh, it is no way. Uh, it is the only way to keep freedom, uh, which means that what has happened in before the Second World War was fear uh, of uh, being attacked and uh, just wanted to prevent the war. They started uh, opposing it by a little bit of a support, uh, you know, under the table of Ukraine sending them some arms so that they would not provoke the Third World War. But the Third World War would come anyway if it's not post, if the aggressor is not opposed. I've read that part of your story when you fled to the countryside and decided to live in the forest. How did you know not to get on the train? Uh, this is a unique story that both my parents understood and other people did not. First of all, we were receiving postcards, uh, uh, those people who arrived to those camps received to fill in and say, they, they were ordered to say, beautiful food, wonderful accommodation, nice work, please join us. But on one of them was cryptic, like a, a hidden, you know, escape the, the German uh, census, a word in Hebrew, uh, original, written alphabet, which is not very common, uh, and it was saying lot off, which means a no good, which means that we understood that it's a death sentence to enter those cattle cars, and then we tried to tell people don't go there. And uh, people were laughing at us, you know, how, how you know, it, it's what kind of fantasy, it's propaganda, you know. When you were liberated uh, by the Soviet army, uh, shortly after the war ended, obviously the West went into the Cold War with the Soviets, and as such, the role of the Soviet army in the Second World War has been somewhat diminished uh, by historians in the United States as we demonized communism. You were living in Czechoslovakia. So the fact that they liberated you, what were your feelings about the Soviets? Uh, Soviets came to take territories. You know, it was Stalin was the leader and uh, in Yalta, Churchill, Roosevelt, and Stalin uh, uh, drew a line on the map, which included Czechoslovakia into Churchill called Iron Curtain. It was a hermetically closed uh, area where Soviet Union was ruling who would live and who would not, and who would be free and who would not and who would be eliminated um, uh, like publicly or covertly and uh, in that regime uh, Jews were not very welcomed Stalin believed that uh, Israel would join communist bloc we became eventually hostages again and suspect, suspect of collaborating with enemy of Soviet Union which which was a capitalist country, and Westerns were suspect, automatic suspect of, of, of 
not not to be trusted. Uh, after the war, it was also controversial. Even though Jews who were literate in Soviet Union, Stalin would not have made it. It means that he gave a little bit more freedom to Jews uh, to speak their language and to be visible, I would say, in public uh, functions and public political positions and so on. But after he won the war, he tightened the screw again and uh, uh, people with Jewish origin were accused of treason and even hanged. So it's my understanding when you were liberated at 15 that Jews at the time were not permitted where you lived to talk about what had happened, the Holocaust, so to speak. And anybody coming back into that territory, into those territories, Eastern Bloc territories, were not permitted to share those experiences. What did you do with all of that trauma and those emotions if you weren't necessarily allowed to share those experiences with anybody? Uh, a lot of people, just like my grandfather, uh, who was in seventies, uh, found out that you know one his son, my father, our father, uh, survived, but seven siblings, his seven siblings, he, and my grandfather's seven children, married with uh, grandchildren, were murdered. Uh, he died. He took him three months. He got sick and died. He, he had no purpose to live. I believe that there were hundreds of, uh, if not thousands of people uh, in that mental state situation. They just lost. And they, their property was not returned. Uh, you know, it was a hostility again. Which means that a lot of people mentally collapsed and physically physical collapsed. So in light of all this loss, all this, all this loss that you've been surrounded by that point in your life, did you ever get mad at God? Mad at God? Why should I get mad at God? God gave me all the strength to survive and to fight. This was my mother's line. Tiso and Hitler wanted to kill us. God gave us all faculties uh, and abilities to defend ourselves. And I'm, uh, I'm still alive with, with that conviction. What is your reaction when you hear about somebody who says... The Holocaust was not real. The Holocaust deniers. Well, I react to them the same way as if they said that, uh, you know, Earth is a flat plate <laughs> floating, you know, held, held by four elephants standing <laughs> in water. So. No, I, I just, uh, but, uh, you know, they are, it is an intention, it's an agenda. Imagine a grandchild who knows that his father or grandfather were criminals. How, how uh, often that person would say, you know, my father was, was a criminal. Uh, which means that it's an agenda to paint everything more uh, rosy than reality. Are you concerned that the world will forget what happened during the Holocaust, or do you just think that's inevitable that we will? Uh, it has already forgotten it. it yes, there are more people believing that the Holocaust never happened uh, than people who 
I go, as I told you, you know, before COVID, nine, uh, 2019, I, I gave 26 lectures practically every second week. And uh, I found out that a lot of people found, uh, found out that Holocaust existed and was uh, really happened uh, from me. You know, my, my wife was born in 1943. She was 22 months old when, uh, when, and all those 22 months she could have been murdered because she had Jewish parents and grandparents. Uh, and uh, then she grew up in a communist country where, as you, as you mentioned, it was not popular or or even allowed to talk publicly about it. The only heroes of the Second World War were dead Soviet soldiers. Anybody else was excluded from that category, and victims of Holocaust were totally taboo, some kind of a forgotten or, or intentionally pushed aside uh, subject. For parents and teachers who can't, get to Dachau or Auschwitz or even the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. What do you tell us is the best way to teach our children and young people about the Holocaust? This is what um, I would suggest to young people. Verify what you hear. Uh, verify what you see, uh, what, they are, what you are told, because it might not be true. Uh, be very careful with information you receive. Uh, with, uh, get a good education so that you can distinguish falsehood from truth. The best way is to be aware of the truth and uh, somehow make peace with it. Somehow adjust to it and turn it into positive actions and positive uh, thinking. In regarding to this to this event to the Holocaust, and what we're seeing now in Eastern Europe, do you think we're seeing genocide again? Do you think the Russians are taking some Ukrainians and doing to them what the Germans did to the Jewish people in the 30s and 40s? Uh, Putin said already 10 years ago, already five years ago, we repeated it recently a few times: Ukrainians do not exist. This ideology is very similar uh, to the Nazi saying that uh, Jewish people are some kind of Asian intruders into wonderful European cultures, and they don't belong there, and they have to be wiped out. Mr. Smith, thank you so much for your time. It's, it's humbling, and I really do appreciate you taking the time with me uh, today to share with me your story. It's extraordinary, and, and, and I thank and you I, so much for it. Thank you so much, and I feel sorry for you to cut out something <laughs> which would be useful for, you, for your listeners. <laughs> but anyway, it's a job, you know. <laughs> thank you very much, Mr. Smith. Thank you so much. And enjoy your day, and be well. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. I'm going to end this uh, episode with a personal anecdote. In 1998, I finished graduate school, and I spent a month doing the backpacking thing through Europe. As part of that trip, I visited the work camp Dachau, which is close to Munich, Germany. From what I understand, Dachau and Auschwitz, which is in Poland, are the two uh, most complete 
of the concentration and death camps that are still standing in Europe. Needless to say, it is a heavy experience because it is one thing to see the images of these places on screen or in the pages of a book, and it is quite another to walk around them where you are in the same spot where human beings were treated worse than animals by fellow human beings. On the grounds, there was a small building that housed some photographs and other artifacts. It was like a museum. And on the wall, blown up to the size of a poster, is a photograph of a ledger which featured the names of the Nazis who were tried during the Nuremberg trials. And I glanced at it, and I scanned the names and thought maybe I'd see a name or two I recognized, and I did. There's Goering's name, and there's Albert Speer's name. There's probably about 100 names on that list, uh, at least in that particular part that was photographed. And as I scanned it, there it was. My name, Engel, spelled correctly, E-N-G-E-L. It's normally misspelled here. It's normally spelled E-N-G-L-E. People misspell it. But uh, Engel is German, and it means angel in that language. And in that country, the name Engel is common the way a Smith or Johnson is here in the United States. Now, am I related to the Nazi Engel, who was part of the hundreds who were tried at Nuremberg for their crimes against humanity? Maybe. Maybe. Probably not. It is likely just a coincidence. It is not a coincidence, however, that since World War II ended, the types of atrocities that the world said we would never allow to happen again have been repeated. Because we forget the unforgettable, even the Holocaust. <laughs>